Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. One of the biggest healthcare stories in central Pennsylvania over the past year was the proposed merger between Pinnacle Health and Penn State Health, a deal that was denied by the Federal Trade Commission. Now Pinnacle is working on two other moves that could reshape healthcare in the mid-state. Joining us to provide some context is WITF's Transforming Health reporter, Ben Allen. Ben, welcome back to the program. And Scott, it's always a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Before we even get started, I want to let everyone know, make this disclaimer, that Pinnacle Health is one of the supporters, one of the main supporters of this program. If you have a question or a comment or would like to join in the conversation, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Org. All right, Ben, two different deals this week with yep. two different considerations. Just one of them would be a major story here in the mid-state, talking about Pinnacle Health purchasing four hospitals, community hospitals, basically, yep. and then talk about uh, talking about affiliating with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. So let's take it one by one. Uh, let's talk about the uh, sale or the purchase of the hospitals. And when I say the purchase, there has to be, uh, you know, we have to add, you know, regulators, have, need regulators to look at have this. to, have, you know, it has to be uh, approved by regulators. But go ahead. Right. So they have this agreement uh, to purchase four different hospitals. It's Carlisle Regional, Heart of Lancaster in uh, Lidditz, Lancaster Regional, and uh, Memorial Hospital in York. These are all owned by Community Health Systems, and that's a for-profit operator. And Community Health Systems is really a nationwide chain, if you will, quote-unquote. Um, and uh, they've had a lot of financial trouble, um, and they've they've really tried to shed hospitals, frankly, um, because they're 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 going through some financial trouble. Uh, of their own. So they've been selling hospitals kind of left and right here over the past couple of months. Uh, so not surprised that these hospitals are being sold. What, uh, what you know, jumps out is that they're being sold to Pinnacle Health, who just went through this big, uh, expensive, uh, bruising fight with the Federal Trade Commission to try to merge with uh, Penn State Health, eventually losing that fight in federal appeals court. Let's kind of dig down into what these hospitals actually are, because I'm sure there are people that live in Carlisle, but there are people listening who might live in Schuylkill County who have never heard of Carlisle Regional Medical Center. These are these are smaller uh, hospitals in general. Don't necessarily do the most, um, they're, they're not, you know, high-level uh, facilities. That's not to say the people that work there aren't, aren't doing the best job that they can. It's just that they don't specialize in, in the high-level stuff that you might find at Penn State Health or even at Pinnacle or at UPMC or Lancaster General Health. Carlisle Regional, uh, to put this in perspective, about $121 million in in uh, revenue uh, in uh, fiscal year 2015, which is the most recent year available. Put that in perspective, uh, Penn State Health, $1.26 billion. Uh, Pinnacle Health, uh, $810 million. So they're, they're small. They're, they're small, but they're community lifelines. You know, these are the hospitals that you get sick uh, and you don't know what's going on and you don't think it's worth the drive to... Uh, to Pinnacle or to Penn State or all the way down to Wellspan if you're in Carlisle, let's say. You walk into the emergency room, maybe it's, you know, a, a simple broken arm or, you know, you, you know, you got pneumonia or something like that. 
they're lifeline hospitals for for some people. Uh, Heart of Lancaster, $61 million in in revenue. Uh, Lancaster Regional, $110 million in revenue. And Memorial in York, $77 million in revenue. So, again, smaller hospitals, but Pinnacle if you add all these together and they acquire these, if regulators allow them to, to acquire them, um, their their revenue could easily jump above a billion, and uh, certainly they would they would have a a, a wider geographical reach. Is that um, the, is that the key to this? Um, that geographical reach. I think there's there's a couple things, and as much as these deals are separate, and regulators will look at each deal on its own. I okay, think well, that, when you say deal separate, meaning the UPMC, right? And, okay, right. I, w- I was wondering whether you meant that or yeah. four separate deals. No, yeah. So the the four uh, the four hospitals is one deal, and then the UPMC affiliation is another. And on that affiliation, Scott, it's just they're gonna they're in talks right now. There's nothing official. And I should say, actually, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed right now. Regulators still need to review these deals, and we're going to get into this a little bit. Regulators still need to review these deals, and as we've uh, seen in the in the past, <laughs> the, the that's no uh, easy thing uh, for for some hospital systems because uh, regulators have really started to take a closer look at how this will affect. Uh, consumer. So I, I, I hated to interrupt yeah. you because I kind of jumped to the UPMC thing. Yeah. But getting back to the community hospitals, you said that th- this could take Pinnacle easily over a billion dollars. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Penn State Health is, like I said, just about a billion and a quarter, at least in the most recent numbers. Um, Pinnacle getting over a billion would certainly be a uh, sounds a nice, easy round number. Uh, to remember, but it also makes it, you know, one of the one of the largest in, in the in in the region. Uh, Wellspan is right around a billion, uh, and Lancaster General is uh, pretty much inching up towards a billion as well, at least according to the numbers that I'm looking at. So, um, you know, it it gives when when I think about expanding regionally, I think about it this way: this is a chance to capture patients, and that might not be the best word, but this is a chance to get patients who may have never encountered the Pinnacle system. Now in Carlisle, they're walking into a Pinnacle hospital, and that means they are going to be treated by Pinnacle doctors all the way through, essentially. And then if you carry that all the way through and the affiliation with UPMC gets approved too, they could treat just about any case. As it stands now, Pinnacle may... Uh, and I, I can't say this for sure, but uh, Pinnacle may have to refer people out of its system because it doesn't have that level of expertise because it can't make that in- investments because it's not a huge, huge, huge system when you look at the, the grand scale of things. So they may have to uh, you know, refer people to Penn State Health. They may have to refer people to LGH. They may have to refer people to Wellspan or to hospitals in Philly or Pittsburgh. And from a business perspective for a hospital that you know that that's got to sting a little bit that that's money you're literally sending out the door um and you know we could talk about uh whether this is right and how this affects consumers but from a business perspective for a hospital this is a chance to get people in carlisle lancaster and your counties um all to uh 
become pinnacle patients. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's a powerful thing. Well, the geography has changed in uh, the, the last few years because pinnacle was basically in the Harrisburg area, right. Lancaster General, Lancaster, Wellspan, York. Well, now they're all Things are all out. jumbled they're, up. They're, they're all, all jumbled, jumbled up. up. All right. So I just mentioned, you know, just a few of the systems that have gotten bigger. Yeah. I mean, LGH, Lancaster General, now affiliated with the University of Pennsylvania, Penn Medicine. Uh, Wellspan has come into uh, Lebanon County, for example. And, and they have and a Lancaster partnership County. with Johns Hopkins, uh, Hopkins, too. right. Yep. Uh, and now that, uh, you know, we're looking at Pinnacle possibly um, uh, being affiliated with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. All right, so we'll talk about all those things specifically, but... Is bigger better? What is driving this? And is it for the consumer, for the patient, is it a good thing? This has certainly escalated. Hospital consolidations have certainly escalated since the Affordable Care Act came around. Uh, it's it, the, the 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 marketplace is so complicated, and uh, there's uh, there's a lot of regulations out there. It's difficult to exactly say this is the this is the main cause, whether it's the Affordable Care Act or higher prices or um, doctors' offices that are getting folded into. Uh, hospital systems, it's difficult to point to one thing. What I can say is since the Affordable Care Act, hospital consolidation has certainly escalated. Competition has certainly escalated um, across Pennsylvania and across the nation. What people are concerned about, what regulators really look for, is that and I have all these all these studies linked on transforminghealth.org. What people regulators really get concerned about is study after study after study, Scott, shows that hospital consolidation, especially within a market or even within a state, um, leads to higher prices for, for consumers. And people will hear that and say, well, prices were already going up. Prices were already going up for health care. But this would be an increasing rate of, of, uh, of higher prices. So um, I think that, that that's, that's something to certainly keep in mind. Uh, there are a couple studies uh, out there that show that uh, hospital consolidation can help with administrative issues. It can help standardize care and get a better plan of of care across um, across a hospital system. Uh, there's also a study that I should note has been paid for by the American Hospital Association that takes issue with all the studies that say the prices uh, will go up when hospitals consolidate. But on the whole, if you look at it, the evidence is pretty clear. When hospitals consolidate, um, and and health systems uh, consolidate uh, prices in general uh, go up for consumers. Of course, there are a lot of things that could play into that. Are they in the same market? Are are, are people? What's the what's the characteristics of these hospitals? Uh, and, and regulators will look at that. One thing that actually fascinated me, and we'll hear from Tim Graney in just a second, who used to work on these kinds of cases at the Department of Justice. He said they'll actually look at commuting patterns. How do people commute to work? Would they be likely to uh, to stop at this hospital? Is this kind of something they're familiar with? So all of that kind of goes into um, uh, into play when evaluating both the affiliation with UPMC and 
the four hospital purchase. All right, so let's move on then to the affiliation with uh, uh, UPMC. Now, I want to, before we even do that, yeah. I, I want to use some, you know, define some terminology yeah. here. I noticed the word is not merger. It's not merger. And par- I haven't even heard the word partner. Right. I've heard affiliated. What does that mean? So here, here's where things get a little tricky because affiliation is kind of a case-by-case basis. There is no uh, thing that you point to and you say, that's an affiliation versus that's uh, a merger. An affiliation doesn't need to hit a certain number of criteria, in other words, to be called an affiliation versus a merger. We mentioned that that, uh, Lancaster General is affiliated with Penn Medicine. That is one type of affiliation, but here an affiliation could simply be we promise to transfer uh, patients to to your uh, to your hospital. We promise to refer patients to your hospital. Or it could be we're going to combine back office operations. We're going to combine all the administrative operations. Or it could be we're going to bid uh, jointly uh, for insurance company contracts. Or it could be we're going to work together on uh, this, uh, let's say, emergency department services or uh, cardiovascular services or, or any kind of department. But we're not going to really join together as a, as a hospital system. So I can't really say what is going to happen here because, frankly, the two parties are still talking about what this is actually going to look like uh, or, or what they want it to look like. But... It, it is some kind of combining. It is not as clear-cut as a merger. A merger is pretty simple. You yeah. bring the operations together. Penn State Health and Pinnacle, that was going to be a merger. That was going to be a straight merger, both operations brought together, one health system. This could be any combination of... Uh, one big toe in the water, maybe two big toes in the water, maybe the whole foot is in the water. It's hard to hard to know until we actually get some details from Pinnacle. And I think that, that that's a very important point that we actually get some details because, uh, you know, they may have explored all this. We yeah. just don't know. And, and they may not know exactly what's going to happen yet at yeah. this point. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. And it still is a good time to mention that, uh, as you just heard, that uh, Smart Talk is supported in part by uh, Pinnacle Health. As we are discussing uh, Pinnacle Health's proposed move this week to buy four community uh, hospitals in the region and uh, then also become affiliated with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. If you have a question or a comment for Ben Allen, WITF's Transforming Health, send us uh, an email at smarttalk at WITF.org. You can call on the phone at 1-800-729-753. Or leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at SmartTalkWITF. That phone number again, 1-800-729-7532. To learn more about uh, what we're discussing today and a lot of other topics, a deeper look at the changing tide of healthcare, and it is changing all the time, check out WITF's Transforming Health. From policy to personal choices, we're taking a comprehensive look at today's health system. Online at TransformingHealth.org, a part Partnership of WITF, Penn State Health, and Wellspan Health. All right, Ben, before we get into what the regulator is looking at yeah. and the possibility or potential for these deals to be approved, you know, one of the basic questions I think a lot of people would have is why would, and you've kind of touched on this, but why would Pinnacle Health want to be affiliated with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and vice versa? Why would UPMC want to be affiliated with Pinnacle? 
And for Pinnacle, I think um, this is a chance, and I can't say for sure because uh, I did request to talk to them, but uh, that request uh, hasn't been granted so far to, to get a sense of what, uh, what, what their motivations are other than what they've said in a statement. But I think that from a Pinnacle standpoint, uh, they see this as a chance to uh, get access to uh, to to high level services uh get access to um to to a a a health system that's uh ranked 12th in the nation according to u.s news and world report and we know how people uh, view the u.s news and world report rankings they're often held in in very high regard um and i think that this is a chance to perhaps strengthen their system as a whole uh you know if you bring in a, a larger system You've got uh, better opportunities to maybe make changes um, in terms of how you care for people, uh, standardize that care a little bit better, and uh, you have a chance to really um, maybe perhaps bring in some some better uh, or, or higher level administrative work. So that's the pinnacle standpoint. They get maybe maybe perhaps get better care, certainly get access to to higher uh, levels of care uh, at UPMC, which is the largest health system in the state. Uh, and then from UPMC's standpoint, well, uh, one 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 thing you got to mention here is the Highmark battle. UPMC has been in a big battle with Highmark. Highmark's one of the uh, dominant insurance plans here in central Pennsylvania, and this could be a chance to 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 twist that dagger a little bit more. Um, UPMC has its own health plan right now, and that health plan on its own, that health insurance that UPMC offers, is now m- now brings in more revenue than their actual health care business. Provide the cost of care uh, to uh, that that they provide to people. So they were competing right. insurance plans with with uh, Highmark. Right, and for people that aren't familiar, Highmark, uh, UPMC, and Highmark had this big battle. It's really the battle isn't still going on, but the the effects are still being felt. And uh, Highmark is is uh, has made UPMC out of network. Uh, they they are out of network. So if you are a patient in Pittsburgh who has Highmark and you walk into a UPMC uh, hospital uh, for the first time, uh, you are going to pay out of network rates. And we know the difference between in network and out of network right, and how I, people pay attention. Can to I that. stop you for yeah. just one second because yeah. I'm sure that uh, we have some Highmark subscribers yep. out there who are saying, okay, if this deal goes through, Pinnacle and UPMC. Does that mean that uh, somehow my Highmark insurance yeah. will be out of network with a pinnacle? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that that's going to have to be, uh, you know, we don't have that answer. We don't have that answer right now, but I think that uh, if uh, you're a Highmark subscriber, uh, someone that has that Highmark card, um, I would imagine you're you're a little nervous right now. If you go to Pinnacle or if you go to any of these these hospitals uh, that that could be bought by Pinnacle, because um, yeah, I mean, it's a very real possibility that uh, your options may be uh, Penn State, uh, Lancaster General, and Wellspan, which are all uh, perfectly great options, but they may be a longer drive for you. Uh, if if uh, you're not you're not uh, you're used to going to Carlisle Regional or you're used to going to uh, to Heart of Lancaster, um, so certainly uh, there's going to be um, you know I, I I feel I feel for for the people that are caught in the middle here.
All right, so let's talk about the regulators, because as we know, uh, using uh, the Penn State-Hershey-Pinnacle merger that was shot down uh, as an example, that uh, regulators take this very seriously. What are they looking for? So they'll look at a couple things, Scott. First, uh, they'll look at where patients come from. So where are these patients uh, coming from? Um, it, it, where, when they go to uh, Penn State Health or when they go to Pinnacle Health or when they go to uh, Carlisle Regional. It's kind of just getting a sense of what the market is like. They'll also look at what kind of services they get and also the insurance marketplace. What's the, what's the, what are the dominant uh, players here? That's Capital Blue Cross and Highmark, and how could this kind of play out for them? I did talk with Tim Graney yesterday, and Tim is uh, a former uh, case, uh, former senior staffer, I should say, at the Department of Justice in uh, our nation's capital, and uh, he he talked a little bit about uh, what what they'll be looking for. The question then becomes, where do employers and third-party payers turn for services? Could they turn outside of these three or four hospitals to alternative hospitals? Right. So what the main concern is, Scott, is if a pinnacle gets so big, let's say it acquires these four hospitals, uh, and the Central Penn Business Journal brought this up in an article yesterday, and I think it's it's a it's a fair point to make in Cumberland County, if uh, if uh, Carlisle Regional is bought uh, by Pinnacle and regulators approve that, Cumberland County, there's only one other hospital that people would have access to. That would be Holy Spirit, which so, is affiliated with which, Geisinger, which is affiliated with Geisinger. So, um, how could that play out? You know, is there concerns about competition? Not to get too much in the weeds here, but it all depends on how the Federal Trade Commission and and State Attorney General's office draws the market, if you will. Do they see that the market is just Cumberland County or do they see that it's a larger market and then people are willing to drive, you know, to Harrisburg, to Hershey, drive 40 minutes from Carlisle to Hershey to get some care at Penn State Health at all? You know, it's... I, I, I'm not smart enough to, to, to draw that market. It depends on how the, how the regulators do. Also, I uh, want to hear a little bit more from Tim Greeny. It may give added boost to an alternative insurer, maybe UPMC's product or someone else, to be more attractive. So it's, it's hard to predict. Indeed, it is hard to predict, and this is from someone who is actually uh, who who used to actually deal with these kinds of cases. He's saying that maybe if uh, UPMC came in here, maybe there would be more competition. Uh, maybe a bit of a contrarian view, but there could be more competition um, because now all of a sudden you have a new health plan, UPMC's health plan uh, in the marketplace, and could that drive prices down? So really what it comes down to, Scott, is regulators are most concerned about prices. If a health system gets so big that it will be able to march around to insurance companies and say, this is our price and you're, you're going to have to pay it if you want us to be a network, and that insurance company feels that it has to pay that price because they can't sell a product that doesn't have that health system, then then regulators are going to get concerned. They're going to get concerned that, ooh, are we talking about, you know, a bit of a monopoly here? Are we talking about, um, you know, hospital systems or health systems that really are grabbing a large market share and are able to demand prices from insurance companies and insurance companies feel that they have to take those prices because otherwise... They're going to lose people to buy insurance, and they'll go flock to another plan. 
And let me just add here that if you would like to join in the conversation, Ben's going to be on with us for about another five to ten minutes. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf, 1-800-729-7532. Ben, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking the whole time you're talking about this as, you know, all these systems are swallowing up or becoming yep. affiliated or partnering, merging, whatever, uh, about the old uh, community doctor, the, the doctor who a lot of us grew up going to one doctor, say, oh, yeah, I went to doctor so-and-so, and, you know, he used to do house calls. Are those days gone? I mean, the small practices, can they compete with this? It's it's a good question to ask. I think that there's a lot of things that, that play into the answer for that. The electronic health record has certainly... Um, been a challenge for many small doctor's offices, and we know that uh, you know nearly every health system in the in the country uses the electronic health record now, and those systems cost a lot of money to get up and running. And as a result, some doctor's offices are saying either paper or you know I'm gonna uh, get swallowed up by a, a larger health system, join a larger health system, and uh, and not have to deal with the implementation of an electronic health record that. Uh, can be can be difficult, can be expensive, can be time consuming, and uh, can be frustrating for for a lot of people. I think there's also, uh, you know, frankly, a, a business part to this. Uh, a lot of of uh, medicine over the past, uh, especially over the past five to ten, maybe even fifteen years, has be, has has to some people felt like more of a business. And when things feel like more of a business, um, when all you want to do is take care of your patients, uh, that can be a challenge. Um, that can be something that will drive people out of healthcare or say. Maybe I'm going to retire at 58 instead of 65 um, because I just don't want to uh, have to deal with 15-minute uh, appointments anymore, 12-minute appointments or 13-minute appointments. The other thing to mention here, Scott, is there are some trends that are popping up. You may have heard of these concierge clinics or concierge practices, and Certainly, that is for a certain income level. Those are for people that can afford it, uh, but they'll pay, let's say, uh, 200 bucks a month to belong to this practice, and as a result, that practice won't take insurance uh, for, for your basic visit, but what they will do is they'll spend a half hour with you. They'll spend 45 minutes with you because they don't have to deal with the administration cost of insurance. They it's they know what they're going to get. They know what their costs are going to be. They know what their revenue is going to be. And uh, and so as a result, they'll they'll go to, to something like that. Now, people will still buy insurance so that if they have a major problem and have to go to the hospital or uh, get some other uh, tests done, they, they can uh, get those covered by insurance. But um, these concierge practices are starting to pop up a little bit, uh, especially among people who may feel a little, uh, you know, just pushed and pushed and pushed uh, from the business side of healthcare. We have a phone call from Barkley in Camp Hill. Barkley, you're on the air. Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I wanted to just comment uh, in agreement with your um, uh, speaker's uh, comments about the purpose behind this merger. I mean, as a, as a former health insurance executive, I retired about five years ago. Um, the largest impact on hospital pricing isn't actually their quality of service. You can find virtually 100% difference between a cost of a particular operation, say bariatric surgery, 
here in central Pennsylvania versus in uh, downtown Philadelphia, it's competition amongst the hospitals and the leverage that the hospitals are able to exert on the insurance carriers makes the most significant difference at the time of contracting. So this merger and consolidation of hospital industry is critical at a time when the government is reducing Medicare reimbursements and Medicaid reimbursements, and for the foreseeable future that will continue. The hospitals then will turn to the commercial sector, commercial insurance companies, and negotiate increases of price to make up for that loss in revenue. So I think that's one of the things you're seeing driving the consolidation. Hey, thank you very much for your call, and I think he stated very yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, that that's this is what regulators would say. They'll say, you know, if you want to deal with uh, health care costs, you've got to look at this consolidation. They fought, uh, the FTC fought and won in uh, Chicago and another hospital merger case. Uh, you can look in Massachusetts, my home state, uh, a large, large, large health system there that owns Massachusetts General Hospital, MassGen as it's known, uh, and Brigham and Women's, two hospitals that have great reputations. They drop plans to buy two hospitals as well because regulators were concerned about the effect on prices. And and the caller did bring up another another point too, Scott, here is that Medicare, Medicaid reimbursement isn't always at the is 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 rarely, I should say, at the true cost of providing that care. That's and why so it affects the prices of everything else. So private insurance people uh, like yourself and 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 myself are, are asked to make up the difference essentially and um, it, it's hard to make that connection in your head, but um, if if uh, if Medicare and Medicaid uh, keeps keeps these reimbursement levels that they as they are, uh, and prices continue to rise, you could expect that private insurance people like like us uh, may have to pay even more um, in order to to make up that difference to bridge that gap. Let's go to Diane in Harrisburg. Diane, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes. Hey, um, my problem is is that I did used to work in healthcare, and I find it very disconcerting that when we talk about these kind of things, like we're always so concerned about the insurance companies. And my problem is, and maybe this is more of a comment than a question, but my problem is is that when we talk about renegotiating things. The, the insurance companies are the one in the end that are always making out in the deal. It's not really the hospitals or the healthcare providers or actually the customers. It's usually the insurance companies that are making out in the deal. Now, why do you say that? Well, because I feel like, you know, if they negotiated a price, then they should be able to provide for that. And because they don't provide for it, all they do is is put the cost down on us. And so they don't really lose out on any of the money, and they don't lose out to any of their stockholders. All right. Thank you very much for your call. You know, there's a lot of uh, talk about nonprofit versus for-profit. So what you say, Ben? What do you think? Well, I think there's a couple things to consider here is that there are uh, insurance companies out there that are for profit. There are insurance companies out there that are nonprofit. Capital Blue Cross is a is a nonprofit. Um, other insurance companies are are, are for profit. And, uh, you know, there there is this sense that um, if you uh, are an insurance company, uh, you're the the big bad wolf. Um, but I think in, in some respects, they also feel under siege, too, because uh, they know that their margins have to get tighter and tighter. 
and uh, they are trying to compete in a marketplace that really is uncertain right now. So um, I, I certainly uh, sympathize uh, with the caller in terms of, um, you know, there, there are a lot of administrative issues with insurance companies. It feels like there's a lot of red tape. It can be very frustrating. I've had my own personal frustrations with, with insurance companies. But um, it's not as simple as saying, uh, you know, this, this is a problem that uh, is brought on solely by insurance companies. It is a, it is a systemic issue, uh, which I'm sure you've, you've heard me say before. Um, but it's true. Uh, there, there isn't one group that's, that's a, that, that is a single bad actor here. Well, we're almost out of time for this portion of the program, Ben. So what happens next? I mean, obviously, this is a, a major development here in healthcare in uh, central Pennsylvania. What, what, what do we look for next? So I want to say, again, uh, and emphasize this point, nothing changes immediately. There's, there's no change immediately. Regulators will now take a look at this. I have requests for comment out to the Federal Trade Commission and State Attorney General's office looking to hear back from them uh, soon to get a sense of their timeline. But when you look at what Pinnacle wants to do, their four hospital purchase, they want to close on that purchase and they want that purchase to, to go in effect by this summer. That is a that is a tight timeline for uh, for a hospital purchase uh, to buy these four hospitals, but regulators will largely determine uh, whether that, that timeline is realistic and determine whether they'll allow that, that four hospital purchase. In terms of the UPMC thing, I didn't really get a sense of a timeline on that, Scott, um, but uh, the the talks are, are continuing, and I would imagine that uh, we'll, we'll be hearing something as soon as uh, there is something to, to say. At least that's that's what Pinnacle tells me. Um, so, again, nothing changes immediately, but uh, shortly after, uh, you know, regulators take a look at this, we'll know whether they're going to allow this to go forward or whether uh, there could be some negotiations or whether they're just going to block this outright. Just a couple things quickly to follow up on. Uh, we had an emailer who said that uh, a statement was made that Highmark made UPMC hospitals uh, out of network. Actually, the reverse is true. Right, right. Uh, UPMC refused to negotiate a new contract with Highmark, and UPMC made Highmark out of network. This gentleman says, I fear that UPMC comes to central Pennsylvania. They do what they did in western PA and refuse to allow in-network access to Highmark subscribers. Also, uh, we had a caller point out that uh, when we're talking about nonprofits and profits, and I, I have to credit where it's due, I saw a story in one of the local television stations that mentioned that these four hospitals that uh, Pinnacle is looking to buy, yep. that they are w with a for-profit company now and thus pay property taxes and other taxes. If Pinnacle takes over, those taxes are lost unless those hospitals voluntarily pay into that. So just something else to consider. Ben Allen, WITF's Transform health reporter. Ben, I know you'll be right on top of this. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Scott. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. The NCAA men's basketball tournament begins today, and women's tournament is set to start on Friday tomorrow. Three teams from two area universities will competing, be competing in the big dance. Mount St. Mary's University, which is located just 10 miles south of Gettysburg in Emmitsburg, Maryland, may have the toughest challenge of all. The 16th-seeded Mountaineers play defending men's national champion Villanova in Buffalo. Obviously, Villanova has a large rooting interest here in 
central Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania overall. Joining us on the phone now is uh, Adam Pohl, who is the play by play radio play by play announcer from Mount St. Mary's. Adam, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Scott. All right. I just mentioned that, uh, you know, the Mountaineers may have the biggest challenge of all. A 16 seed has never beaten a number one seed. So there is a chance that history could be made today by the Mount. What would have to happen for that for uh, Mount St. Mary's to beat Villanova? You know, I think the Mount has uh, the kind of team that uh, when it finally does happen, it'll be a team kind of like the Mount that will do it uh, because uh, the Mount is a very guard-oriented uh, team, and uh, you just have to have it where uh, there's no doubt when you're going to play a number one seed as a 16 seed that the other team's going to be have a physical advantage. So the Mount's going to have to hit a lot of shots. Uh, they're going to probably have to hit in the range of 12 to 15 three-point shots tonight. And they're going to have to hope that Villanova settles for jump shots. And and uh, and I think getting off to a good start is, is imperative for the Mount. So uh, it's, it's just a great opportunity, though, to be here in the big dance uh, here with uh, our university. And uh, obviously uh, the Mount St. Mary's community is ecstatic with, uh, with what has happened this season with the basketball program. Well, let's talk about all those things uh, because that opportunity doesn't come along very often. Uh, Mount St. Mary's right. has two, uh, two victories in the NCAA tournament under its belt, but this is probably the most attention that the basketball program has ever gotten, playing the number one seed, the defending national champion. Game starts just after seven tonight, so it will be in prime time time on national TV. So talk about that opportunity and talk about uh, how the campus and the fans of uh, Mount St. Mary's, how they've reacted to all this. Well, uh, the thing about the Mount is uh, Mount St. Mary's is in the Northeast Conference, and it's a, it's a surefire one-bid league, meaning that even if you come in first place in your regular season, which Mount St. Mary's did for the first time in 21 years this year, you still have to win your conference tournament to make the NCAA tournament. And for the Mount, this year, they were able to host the championship game uh, at Mount Arena, the home gym, for the first time uh, in school history. So... The excitement uh, about just that alone uh, was incredible. Even though this is the fifth time that Mount St. Mary's has gone to the NCAA tournament, they had never uh, clinched a bid to the tournament on their own home floor. So that, I think, really ginned up a a ton of spirit. There's a huge contingent of Mount St. Mary's uh, alumni and fans that are going to be gathering here in Buffalo, New York today and uh, coming to the game. And uh, obviously, it's one of these things where if if, uh, Mount St. Mary's gets on a run early, I think the entire arena is going to be rooting for the Mount, just rooting for Cinderella, if you will, uh, in this kind of experience. Yeah, they are a huge underdog. Uh, You talked about the guard play, and I didn't want to get into too, you know, since we're not a sports talk show, get into (laughs) too much technical. But you mentioned that uh, the Mount, uh, you know, has a a real good backcourt with their guards. Junior Dixon. I've seen a couple of Mount games on TV the last few weeks. Junior Dixon, five foot five, smallest player in Division One college basketball, but one of your leading scorers and really, really an exciting player. Yeah, and I think when you look at a team like Mount St. Mary's, and uh, a lot of times getting uh, slightly undersized players is critical because 
Uh, Junior Robinson is a player that if he was six foot one, he might be playing for Villanova. He's got that kind of athletic ability, but he's five foot five. I mean, he's the shortest player in the entire country, 351 teams. So uh, it, it's remarkable his story. And he was the leading scorer two nights ago when the Mount won in the first four in Dayton against the University of New Orleans. And you can even spin that towards the other leading scorer for Mount St. Mary's. His name's Elijah Long. And Eli is only six feet tall. And for a guard uh, in Division One basketball, you know, the guys he'll go up against today are going to be 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and that's a lot different. And uh, so guys like Junior and Eli, they're outstanding basketball players that were overlooked quite often because of their size. And uh, now on a night like tonight, uh, under the brightest of lights, they've got a chance to prove that they can hang with the big boys. You know, I, I do want to bring something else up, though. I, I mentioned that obviously Villanova has a, a big following here in Pennsylvania and yes. nationally mm-hmm. since they have won two national championships. But Villanova is really not that big of a team either. In fact, uh, if you look at, you know, you listen to the so-called experts, they say that if Villanova has an Achilles heel, it is that they only have one guy over six foot seven. that uh, right. most of the time it's their guards. But as you just pointed out their guards are between six foot four and six foot seven where your guys are between five five and about six foot one <laughs> yeah you don't think about it yeah, a lot of times in basketball when you're talking about size you're always talking about the guys that are really close to the basket and the seven foot guys but uh, but obviously for Mount St. Mary's uh, it, it equates to guard play as well and what's interesting is that uh, Mount St. Mary's and Villanova have recruited some of their best players from the same area. So I just mentioned Elijah Long. Uh, Miles Wilson is uh, the outstanding freshman that the Mount has. And they're both uh, played their high school basketball in the Baltimore area. And if you look at uh, two of the top players in Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins, uh, those are players from Villanova that uh, come from the D.C. area. So it's, uh, it's interesting how many of these guys were kind of in the same circles uh, even going through high school basketball. One final question, Adam. Uh, this brings a lot of attention to the school. What does that translate yes. to? You know, it's it's just a wonderful thing. Uh, there's a real tradition of basketball at Mount St. Mary's. Of course, Jim Phelan uh, was, is in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. He was the coach at the Mount for 49 years. Jamie and Christian, the Mount's head coach, was a player at the Mount when Jim Phelan retired. And now he's carrying this legacy on. So it's obviously probably uh, for people that go to the Mount, the basketball program is the number one sport and maybe a number one source of pride uh, as far as athletics is considered for Mount St. Mary's. And then, of course, nationwide, the Mount is a small school. I talked about the 351 schools. It's probably one of the five smallest schools uh, out of the 351. So to be here on the big stage uh, under this with this kind of uh, audience, uh, we're going to be on CBS tonight. It's it's just an incredible thing for the university. Adam Paul is the play-by-play announcer for Mount St. Mary's. Adam, I know you'll have a good time tonight, too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. And now let's move on to uh, Bucknell. Bucknell University's men's and women's squads take to the court today and tomorrow, respectively. The Bison's men play uh, high ra- highly ranked West Virginia this afternoon in Buffalo, New York, while the women will try to topple pa- powerhouse Maryland tomorrow. Bucknell's Associate Athletic Director for Communications, John Terry, joins us on Smart Talk to discuss March Madness. John, welcome to the program. Well, good morning. Nice to be with you. All right. So I, I just talked to someone else, one of your colleagues in um, 
in Buffalo. How are things in Buffalo today? As you know, we're uh, dealing with snow here in central Pennsylvania. What about Buffalo? Well, we were dealing with a lot of that same snow for about 48 hours when we first got here. But uh, believe it or not, the sun is out and uh, it, it feels about 20 degrees warmer up here just seeing the sun. Uh, it's just refreshing uh, to have it back out. It's going to be a beautiful day up here. So for anybody traveling up to Buffalo from the central PA area, uh, the roads are looking good. And uh, we hope to see you up here cheering for the bison. And maybe the sun is shining on uh, the bison. Bucknell, one of the few schools to have both men's and women's basketball teams in the tournament. That's quite a feat. Well, I tell you what, it was a real exciting week uh, at Swick at Pavilion. Uh, we had six playoff games. Uh, in a span of about eight days in Soika uh, between our men's and women's teams. And uh, both of them had the opportunity to celebrate on the floor and cut down the nets. Um, it was just a real special week uh, for us up, up at Bucknell. Our men's and women's programs uh, have really been uh, quite strong here for a number of years. Uh, the women, particularly over the last four or five years under head coach Aaron Russell, has done a remarkable job uh, turning that program around. And it was just wonderful for the seniors uh, on both the men's and women's teams to uh, really realize this NCAA tournament dream they've had, and, and for the senior classes, it'll be their first trip to the NCAAs on both the men's and women's side. So I uh, could not be more excited for the, the coaches, the staffs, and, and especially the student-athletes on both teams. So, as I mentioned, both teams play highly ranked opponents. The men play West Virginia this afternoon. The women take on Maryland tomorrow. Let's talk about each one of the games. What do uh, the Bison men have to do to beat West Virginia? Well, first and foremost, they're going to have to deal with West Virginia's pressure. West Virginia is the team uh, that for 40 minutes will be uh, in your face defensively. They play a, a full-court, high-pressure trapping style. Uh, so they're going to put all kinds of pressure on uh, Bucknell's guards today uh, to, to break that pressure. Uh, and, and a couple of things that uh, Coach Nathan Davis has really been stressing to his team, uh, first and foremost, not only do they want to break that pressure, but they want to be able to attack and score off the pressure. Uh, West Virginia is a very... A good-sized team with a lot of long athletes, guys with long arms that they put at the top of that press. Um, so he doesn't want to be just satisfied uh, just to get the ball over half court. Um, they're going to have to score off of it, too, and really attack the basket. And, and uh, when you do break the press, you have numbers uh, and be able to score in those three-on-two, two-on-one situations uh, and hopefully get some easy baskets off the press breakers. Uh, and then the second thing is West Virginia is um, – the number one team in the country in terms of forcing turnovers. They lead the country in steals. They lead the country in all the forced turnover stats, you know, per possession, per game, all of that. Uh, so we know that Bucknell is going to turn the ball over some today, uh, but there's good turnovers and there's bad turnovers. The bad turnovers are those live ball turnovers uh, where West Virginia is able to get a steal and then they dunk it on you going the other way. So it's not only is it, uh, two points that you don't get to score, it's two points for them. Um, so the turnovers that are acceptable are the ones uh, that come in a dead ball situation, uh, you know, maybe a 10-second violation, you know, ball going out of bounds, where at least we can reset our defense. And if West Virginia has an Achilles heel, uh, they're not a super shooting team. They're not great in the half court. So if we can get, uh, get settled defensively and guard them in the half court, uh, that'll be the best thing uh, for us defensively. What about the women? I know Maryland was, from what I understand, reading about it, uh, they were upset that the, uh, when I say upset, meaning they were not happy that they were a third seed and uh, going up against uh, Bucknell, which the women have won, uh, you know, in the middle of a winning streak. So what do the women have to do to beat Maryland? 
Yeah, well, first of all, you're, you're very much right about that. Uh, the Maryland folks and, and uh, those of us who have followed a little bit, too, thought Maryland was uh, severely underseeded as a three seed. They've been a top five program in the national rankings all year long. Uh, nobody in the country has played UConn as tough as Maryland did this year. That was, you know, a game played within single digits the, the whole game. And, of course, everybody knows about UConn's women's program with a winning streak over 100 games in a row now. Uh, so this is this is a Maryland team that is legitimately one of the best teams in the country. Uh, and Bucktown's going to, again, have its uh, have its work cut out for, uh, for us today, or uh, tomorrow, rather. And, um, again, going to have to handle pressure. Uh, Clocknell's strength is its size inside, uh, especially um, you know in comparison to our fellow Patriot League teams uh, with Claire DeBoer, Sune Swart, and Caitlin Slagas. Bucknell has three legitimately sized uh, players inside. That's been the strength all year. Uh, but Bucknell is going to have to get really good guard play from Ty English and Megan McGurk as well uh, to handle that pressure for Maryland. It's going to have to be a very balanced attack. Uh, for the Bison women on Friday. We only have about uh, three minutes left, and there are a few other things, uh, uh, John, that I want to touch on. Uh, Although Bucknell has had athletic success, the university is known mostly for its academics. What kind of excitement is there on campus for both the men's and women's basketball teams? Well, there's a ton of excitement. Uh, You know, the the student-athlete experience, as you mentioned, is really kind of part of the fabric of what Bucknell is all about. Um, you know, we have over 700 student athletes on a campus of 3,500 students. So really about one in five students on our campus is a varsity student athlete. Um, so we really, uh, take pride in the fact that the athletic experience here is kind of part of the mission, part of the academic uh, mission, uh, of the university. Uh, all of our student athletes are true scholar athletes. Uh, they go to class with the leading scorer on our men's team, for example, Zach Thomas majoring in biomedical engineering. Uh, and he's averaging 16 points a game, and he was the MVP of the Patriot League tournament, first-team all-conference player. Uh, on the, uh, I'll give you a little quick anecdote. On the morning of the Patriot League championship game against Lehigh, uh, Zach was unable to go to shoot-around because he was in uh, some sort of laboratory that I can't pronounce, and uh, so he had to make special arrangements to come in with the coaches and watch film around his class schedule and stuff like that. So that comes first uh, in everything uh, that we do. Uh, but these guys are very serious about their Division One uh, athletic experience, too. And uh, going to the NCAA tournament is uh, a major goal of theirs. And, uh, you know, they're going to realize that today. Well, you know, around the country, other than that uh, academic uh, reputation that Bucknell has, when you mention Bucknell basketball, what probably comes to mind is the Bison's upset of third-seeded powerhouse Kansas in 2005. That helped establish a bit of a tradition and put Bucknell on the map nationally. I'm sure you still hear about that even 12 years later. Only have about 60 seconds, John. Well, sure, and there's no question that win over Kansas uh, was a major turning point for the program. You know, Bucknell had had long established a tradition in basketball going back to the days of Charlie Woolham. Uh, Jim Balvano coached here for three years before Charlie, and then um, Pat Flannery uh, came along. And so we had been to NCAA tournaments before and, and won conference championships before. But really, that game in Oklahoma City that day, just beating Kansas, really put us on the national map. We were on the front page of every newspaper across the country. Uh, it lifted the profile of the university, uh, and it's still a talking point today. You know, we, we can't 
uh, go anywhere without people saying, oh, Bucknell, that's the team that beat Kansas. I remember you guys. You guys ruined my bracket. <laughs> people are still upset about it, uh, about it with us. So, uh, but, but even up here in Buffalo, you, like you said, it's been 12 years. But uh, everywhere we go, we're talking with the media up here. We're talking with fans up here in Buffalo. And they're like, yeah, we remember you guys beating Kansas. So you know, that's a sign you guys can beat uh, West Virginia today, yeah. uh, another Big 12 team from the same conference. Yeah. Bucknell's Associate Athletic Director for Communications, John Terry. John, thank you very much. Good luck today. Games on CBS this afternoon. I believe it's 245, right? 245 on CBS. All right. Thank you very much. Coming up tomorrow, Sunshine Week. We'll talk about transparency.